Welcome to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and I'm joined by the one and only Dan Burkholder. Dan, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Eric. Thank you for asking. You are so welcome, Dan. Well, we have a very special guest in episode today. We're talking to Mr. Greg McHale, who is the host of the Sportsman Channel TV show, Greg McHale's Wild Yukon. Dan, we're going to talk about the Wild Yukon. And we're going to talk about discipline, and it becomes very necessary, particularly when you're hunting in the backcountry, to have discipline. Why, Dan, is it so important? Well, I mean, just at a practical level, if you're hunting any sort of difficult to get to animal, you are going to be miserable if you don't practice some form of discipline beforehand to prepare yourself. Don't ask me how I know, but I may or may (laughs) not have thought at certain points that I was going to set up my home on the side of a very steep mountain. Um, (laughs) The other reason beyond the hunt is because like the Proverbs say that a man without self-control is like a city with no walls, which means it's open to attack at any point. And so as men, one of the greatest things that we can do is to exercise self-control and discipline in all areas of life. And in fact, typically, well, what we like to do is divide the, the mental and the physical uh, and the spiritual into these neat little categories, but that's not how a person works, is it? So it, when you exercise discipline and self-control physically, it begins to bleed over into all areas of life. So that truly a man with self-control and with discipline is like a city with, with walls. They're untouchable. And so that's why I think it's important to practice self-control and discipline. Yeah, and it's so true. It really does bleed into every area of life. Uh, One of the things I always come back to is what Jocko Willink says, that discipline equals freedom. And so especially when you're out hunting, in order to conquer the mountain, in order to have a good time, you you have to discipline your body. Now, Dan, I don't know about you, but I've had some experiences where I thought I was in shape. And uh, the mountain proved me a liar. I'm sure you probably had some experiences like that as well. Yeah, I don't know if that's a comment on my general physique, but yes, <laughs> I have also experienced that. And really, the proof comes down to when you have that that bull or whatever you're chasing up the mountain, and you've got to give it the last push, and you think you've given it all you got until you're successful, and then you've got to get it off the mountain. Yeah, and I can think of uh, one experience. Even this year, we had a late-season cow hunt, and we were able to get into position pretty quickly on some cows one morning. We jumped out of the truck. We kind of ran up this hill, and I'm like, okay, doesn't matter if I'm in shape. These cows, we're going to be ready to rock on these cows. And they took off around the hill, and my buddy was like, we got we to gotta cut them off. And so we go running, and it's probably a mile in, like, you know, shin-deep snow. And we go running and we get there and I line my rifle up on the cows and I realize like I am shaking so violently because Dan, I was a little out of shape. I had been eating too many cookies and too many chips Uh, during the winter season. I was trying to get that insulation layer going on my body, which was working. You were, you were carrying that, 
that heavy beard. It was the beard weight. Yeah, you got to have strong <laughs> neck muscles in order to carry that beard weight. That's exactly right. But I realized in that moment, like, yeah, I've been lying to myself. I'm not nearly in the shape that I need to be to execute this hunt. So it's interesting, Dan, the, the other side of this is not only the physical discipline, but it impacts us in the way that we eat as well. I know you and I, we talk a lot about food. We love our meat. We love to smoke it. We love to garden. We love our chickens and our ducks and our fresh eggs. That's really something that's important to you as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Where my food comes from is important. I'm not dogmatic in creating like new food laws. We want to build habits. And one of the habits that I've been attempting to build at my house, uh, part of the making a durable household, an anti-fragile house, is producing my own food. And that comes with hunting, obviously. You're, you've got meat. You've got to figure out what to do with it. But I try to go beyond that, even, even like some real hippie stuff like medicinal herbs. But it is, it is an important thing to, to think about where your food comes from and what you're putting in your body. And, you know, one last thing I want to ask you, Dan is, and then we'll talk about it in the episode with Greg, but is the, the concept of facing danger, right? We talk about that a lot in this show. Greg is somebody who he says in the episode, he's, he's crashed an airplane. He'll tell us a little bit about that. Um, when we go into wild places, we face danger. And in a culture like ours, right? Safetyism, we kind of have this mindset where we, we never want to face danger. We want everything to be safe, but why is it important for man to encounter some form of danger in his life it fits in with our self-control and discipline right uh conversation that we were having you don't really understand like like until you climb the mountain and test yourself how much you've actually disciplined your body yeah and so when you it's not until you get that moment of danger where you've understood like am i prepared and when you face down that danger and and god willing it's you do face it down and you walk away from it. Uh, what you've done is you've, you've passed the test. Right. And it also builds a confidence that you are actually prepared for that. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think men in particular are craving uh, a testing. We, we all need that. And ultimately to be proven true and to prove the things that we've been building into our lives. Well, Dan, I'm excited for this episode. We're going to jump in now with Mr. Greg McKay. Well, welcome to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and today we have a very special guest. We have Mr. Greg McHale. Greg is the host and executive producer of Greg McHale's Wild Yukon, and that is available on Carbon TV and their YouTube channel. You can follow Greg as well on his Instagram account. He has some amazing footage, both of hunting and of fitness. Greg, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. I, I really appreciate being here. Absolutely. Well, Greg, I, I want to start by talking about some of your fitness background. If anybody goes to your Instagram feed, as I encourage them to do, they're going to discover very quickly that you are a fitness nut. You might even be a fitness guru. So I want to ask you, how did you get into the fitness side of things? both as a multi-sport athlete, and then, of course, as you say, you're doing these, uh, these races, endurance races, and it bleeds into hunting. How did you get into that world? Um, you know, I think that it started just 
my family was, um, my father was very active and he um, promoted, promoted athletics from day one. Um, started just like most, like a lot of kids in Canada playing hockey. But it wasn't really until I, I left, uh, left Ontario and moved to the Yukon in search of adventure that I really explored my possibility as, um, as, as a high level athlete. You know, once, once you, you learn that, you know, you think as a little kid, you think that, oh, you know, maybe I'm going to be in the NHL. And then the reality hits as you become a teenager and realize that you just don't have the, uh, <laughs> you don't have the talent to, to be able to do it. And once, once that reality hit me, I think that, uh, I really needed to push myself in a different direction, and that direction was into wild places and into the outdoors, and maybe a sport that more uh, more matched my my body type, which you know, which was climbing and in endurance athletics, which led us to to the Yukon in search of, like I said, adventure and wild places and the most remote places that you could find in our country without uh, you know without leaving your country and. Um, that took us 6,000 kilometers away from home to the Yukon. And uh, once we got there, we knew that uh, we were hooked. It's a very addicting place for sure. It's, it's, a very, it's a very beautiful place. It's a very challenging place. Um, some of the, the most wonderful experiences you could have, ever have in the wilderness would be found in a place like the Yukon. But, you know, 24 hours later, the, that most wonderful experience can turn into one of the most horrific experiences as well. It's, it's a very unforgiving land up here. And the remoteness of it with lack of, of people um, certainly add to that, to that uh, seriousness of, of the land, which is the Yukon. Um, I'm not trying to paint a dramatic picture. The reality is, is you know, you can be... You can be far removed and, you know, there's no one coming. It's up to you in a, in a lot of ways. And that is what, what drew both me and my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Denise, um, what drew us to the Yukon and holds us here to this day. So, yeah, that's where we started our adventure racing career is here in the Yukon. Um, you know, I, I started climbing first, so big wall climbing. Uh, rock climbing, ice climbing, mountaineering, you know, climbing Mount McKinley and Mount uh, Denali and Mount Logan, you know, some of the bigger peaks here in North America was, you know, I was really attracted to pushing myself in remote places from, from the day that we got here. So, and then that kind of morphed into adventure racing. Um, you know, my wife is uh, my wife is an amazing athlete. She's uh, I, I often call her the best athlete in the family. Um, she's got you know the Canadian <laughs> record for the 100K. So she's a high level endurance athlete, and so we've we've had that ability to to push each other and and really help each other along in in our fitness. Um, now, mind you, obviously when I'm off hunting, she's not with me all the time, and when I was climbing, she wasn't with me, but we found this togetherness through adventure racing, which took us all over the world. And, you know, we got to experience amazing things. We got to experience the, the best highs you could ever have as a, as a couple, I think. And some of the most, the most challenging lows that you could have as a couple on a, on a physical level. 
so yeah it's been it's been an amazing journey and i've been very fortunate to spend it with uh you know with my best friend and and my wife and i you know we just uh we really enjoy where we're at and we 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 just cherish every day that we get to spend together and with our family in this place that uh that we love is the yukon yeah that's awesome so maybe for listeners who don't know, when you're talking about adventure racing, what all is entailed in that? And specifically, I want you to talk about the different elements that you've got to master and what that requires of you physically and mentally. So the sport of adventure racing, I, I believe that it is the most difficult human endurance sport on the planet. Now, there's a lot of things that, um, that you can do, you know, pushing yourself endurance-wise. But when you are, you know, you're racing, that's a different element. And when, when you're racing at the highest level, now that's another element added on top of it. So the sport of adventure racing really came about, you know, in the 80s, I believe, where it consists of the kind of adventure racing we did was expedition style, which are long races, like 400 to 1,000 kilometer races. And these races that you start wow. and you have a finish line. And between, you know, during this course, there have a number of checkpoints that you must hit in order to continue. Adventure racing is also a team sport. So it's typically um, the best teams in the world consists of three men and one woman. Um, so you must have an opposite sex on the team. So this is just the tradition of the sport and at the, at the highest level have have morphed into having one woman on the team. Um, now, it's, it's, it's really neat because as these, these days go on, as you start racing, um, the one woman on the team often starts out as the slowest member of the team, but typically ends up as one of the, one of the fastest you know, members of the team. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic that, uh, that goes on in these, these long, long races. So typically a race consists of uh, biking, mountain biking, um, kayaking, and trekking. Those are the three main disciplines. Now, you know, diff where, depending on the country you're in, depending on where you're racing, they may throw other types of disciplines in, although um, actually ropes are, are a big part of it too. So ascending or rappelling, um, Tyrolean traverses across canyons, different stuff like that get thrown into these races. And... Um, certainly make for a, a dynamic event. Now, the yeah, the typical race would would be over 400 kilometers, some to up to a thousand. So four days, wow. four days to ten day races nonstop, where you manage your own sleep. Um, there's very few mandatory mandatory stops along the way. Um, you. It's, yeah, you start the race and you finish. If you drop a person, then your race is over. So you cannot win unless all four members of that team cross the finish line together. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard, hard race. It's a hard style of, uh, of sport in that it brings you from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And you can be... You can be the fittest member of the team on day one, and you can be the one where you're getting dragged to the finish line on a tow rope on day six. So it's, um, 
it's it's an amazing sport. I wish that it was doing, you know, that sport was more popular, but I completely understand why it's not popular because it is just unbelievably hard. It is mentally, so mentally challenging, uh, let alone the physical side. So if you don't have, like, if you are a physical specimen, you're an amazing athlete, um, but you don't have the mental game, or you're used to a sport that lasts for five minutes or two hours, or even if it's an eight hours, you get deep into those races into six days and you really find out who you are. And um, a lot of people, most people really don't want to know who they are because it hurts. It either hurts their ego or it hurts uh, or physically it's going to hurt. And that's, you know, that's a big part of why people don't achieve the goals that they want to achieve because they're afraid of, they're afraid of pain. Um, and if you're afraid of pain, adventure racing is definitely not for you. Yeah, that's incredible. So it, it really intrigues me and I, I've, been, I've been kind of pulled to it in the same way you have. Uh, mine's a li- my story is a little different. So I got into triathlon um, and people would ask me like, why would you do this? Because, you know, you're, you're getting saddle sore on a bike, you're getting blisters. Uh, it's miserable, especially as you get into the full triathlon distances and then adventure racing. Same deal. As you mentioned, there's going to be all these mental components and mental challenges. But I would always tell people, actually, the reason that I got into it was because you could figure out how far and hard you could push yourself, and it really required a mental endurance. And so I used to, I used to listen to uh, uh, Chris McCormick, Australian triathlete, and it really taught me, he always said, he said, the key to being a successful triathlete is learning how to embrace the suck. And really what I learned from it was, was a lot of carryover for hunting and life which was that that's what life is about. You got you to gotta learn how to endure difficult things. They're unpleasant um, and they're difficult, but you gotta have, you're going to have to have the right mindset to be able to do that. So if you would for a second, just talk about how that sort of mindset that you take from the racing, how does that translate into this dangerous backcountry uh, Yukon experience that you're facing continually? Yeah, well, one thing I'd like to... Like to to reflect on to say is your perception is your reality. If you perceive that this is hard and this is going to be hard, well, of course it's going to be. But if you look at the, you know, the difficulty as, as a reward almost that, you know what, I put myself here and this is what I'm looking for. So smile and take it in and just keep pushing. It's all about your mindset and how you look at life. And when it translates, when you take what I did in the adventure racing world, you know, which is racing at, at not just racing to complete races, but racing to win, to be the best in the world. Um, right. You take that mindset and then you throw it into hunting and hunting is easy. Like hunting is just <laughs> right. easy. Right. There is like even in the Yukon. Throw me in the middle of the Yukon with the the two guys that I've got as partners out there. And yes, days are going to suck, but they aren't going to suck even close to what I've been through in an adventure race. So anytime, and I know that that sounds somewhat callous, but people don't, it's really difficult to understand 
what I'm talking about until you've really pushed yourself and really try to find out who you are and what you're made of. Now that doesn't have to be in a physical sense all the time, but it certainly translates well to the style of hunting that I do in the backcountry. So, um, you know, really, and more so than anything, I think that it provides a component to life that is, is almost unstoppable on a day-to-day basis because I'm going to give you a quick scenario of my situation. Like right now, in, in these times that were these challenging times that everybody is going through with, um, you know, with COVID. So I own a major tourism business here in the Yukon, and that my, is my, my number one business. And that business, obviously, tourism is in the tank, and our business actually caters to the cruise ship traffic. We have a wildlife museum and, you know, a petting farm and, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of really uh, cool right. things that uh, attract right. families. And so this, this tourism business is completely devastating. And the way I look at it, and I truly look at this, is I will look back on 2020 and 2021 as as a gift that was given to me to realize, Greg, you cannot take your foot off the throttle. You cannot get comfortable and you can't rest Mm. because if you do, then bad things can happen and you will not be mentally prepared. Now, adventure racing mentally prepared me to be able to have this kind of attitude and to be able to push when other people are drawing back. Other people are just trying to conserve, and I haven't looked at it that way. I, I looked at it like, well, Greg, you have to do more in the hunting world. You have to do more in the fitness world. You have to use your assets that, that you've built and to help other people. So this, is, this has been a great opportunity for me and my wife to go, okay, we have one part of our life that is completely devastated. So, and we can look at that as, oh, poor us, or we can use this as a learning experience and go out and just do more and help more people and to provide, you know, to provide some motivation to people that it, it's all about your perception. Your perception is your reality. And this was built on a foundation of adventure racing, putting yourself in difficult situations, coming out the other side, good or bad win or lose, but growing from it. And that's really what life is about. Yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal point. And I think it's helpful, as you said, for all of us who are going through difficult situations, so much of that, how we face it is going to be about our mindset. Uh, as you said, is it an opportunity or is it something that you say, oh, this is destroying my life? But talk about for a moment, if you will, that the, there's a component in here about discipline, not only physical, but disciplining your mind. So I, I'm curious in your life, it's, it sounds like a lot of it's from adventure racing, but how and where did you develop this mindset of, okay, I'm going to discipline my emotions. I'm going to discipline my responses to situations. How did you come to your understanding of that mental discipline where you are now? Um, I think that, uh, I think some of it was like, a lot of it was taught. Um, whether it was taught to me early on by, by my, my family, my father. My father was, you know, he's a very, he's, he, he's, a, he's a fantastic man, and so is my mother. 
And I think that fundamentally, they just taught me that you need to you need to be able to control your control yourself, and but you also need to know when to push and not take your foot off the throttle, um, and understanding your emotions. And then I was I used to be a, a police officer, so I I was a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, um, you know, early in er, early in my career, and I certainly learned tools there to detach emotion from the situation. And I think that so many of us, we get, we get caught up in the emotion of the situation and we have really difficult to step back and look at it from the other person's perspective. And it's a constant, uh, I'm certainly no, I'm not mastered. I haven't mastered the skill, but it's a constant evolution and education. And the more that you can control your emotions and put the situation that you're in into um, you know into context. It's it, it's certainly a good a good place to be, and it's uh, the more you can learn to do that, to step back and to you know have a good perception about what's going on unemotionally is really the key to that. And then to be you know to be able to um, to motivate yourself and be disciplined along the way to do the things that you know that you need to do. Um, one of the things that I think that, you know, we all know, we all know that you need to have a healthy life. You must exercise, you must move your body, and you must put good things into your body. We all know that. But for so many of us, and me included in certainly in the past and and there are times right now that i i i know this i know it fundamentally but yet still we have lapses we've we fail that and really to be able to control those emotions those chemical emotions that whether it's you're addicted to sugar or you know even using the word addiction um you have to we have to really be able to tap into into education and the, the, the things that we know and be disciplined. And once you can get discipline in your life, then um, things get a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things I've gone back to frequently, uh, Jacko Willink is the one who, who brought my attention to it, but um, in his writings and podcasting was that discipline is freedom, right? If you want to accomplish things, if you want to be free, um, you've got to discipline both your body, your mind, and, and your entire life. So, Greg, you, you've got something, and if people go to your Instagram feed, they'll see this. As you start your workouts, you've got a slogan on a wall on a poster that you tap. And for our listeners, wh what does that say and why is it important to you? So that's kind of the, has been the, I don't know, the fundamental, the foundation of what I believe my philosophy in life is, is... Every day when I walk into that into that gym, you know, I get up at four thirty in the morning. I walk into that gym and I tap my tap the poster, and the poster says, "Do the work." And for me, it's just a reminder to myself, like Greg, you're here, you're here for a reason, and and not just here at this moment, but you're put on this earth to not be a not not put your life on cruise control. You're here for a reason. Right. right. And today the reason is 
whatever it is, but right now at this moment, you're here and it's to do this work. And you're coming to the gym to make your body fit so that you can contribute to the rest of the world as soon as you, you, know, you leave this gym. And by fundamentally, by taking care of yourself, allows you the ability to take care of others. If you're broken, you can't help the people around you. You can't take care of your family. If you know, you're, you're not healthy, if you're not eating properly, everything isn't functioning the, the best that it could. And I believe when I wake up in the morning, my job is to do the work so that I can, I can help those people around me. Um, Eric, I spent, I spent a lot of years in a very, um, what I would consider retrospectively in a, in a selfish place. I really was driving forward and with, with my own personal intention and maybe I wasn't um, as mindful as I should have been to the concerns of my wife or to the concerns of my job or maybe I could have been more well-rounded. But at the time, that's where I was. And it has led me to this place of understanding that you can have this life that is more well-rounded with, you know, proper communication, proper understanding. But you can't have these things unless you take care of yourself. You have to take care of your body so that you can gain the confidence to be able to maybe make the next step. You have to put good food into your body so that you feel good when you get up in the morning and you do want a hard charge. And, and then when you build that foundation, you can come to the place where I am now where my job is to really provide the knowledge that I have and whether I built some of it or whether it was um, given to me by you know, growing up in a great family. But the tools that I have built now my job is to really help people around me and people that I don't even know. And some of the posts, you know, when I, when I get up and I tap that poster and somebody sends me a, a DM that says, thanks, Greg, for that kick in the ass to this morning. I needed that. Um, I know I'm in the right place. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Greg, I want to ask you about your daily routine. You mentioned that you get up at 430 um, walk me through like a normal day, particularly fitness wise, but a normal day in your life. And kind of, as you go through that, talk about why you're structuring it that way. Cause it seems like you're really thinking through that. Nobody wakes up at four 30, usually by accident. So, so what's your thought process and what's your daily routine like? Yeah, my, when I'm not in the bush, when I'm not hunting, um, my, my time is super structured. So, and, and it starts, it doesn't start at 4.30. It actually starts at 8.30, 9 o'clock the night before. And that's, that night starts with the prep for the next day. So I try, and I'm not always successful, but I try the night before to be in bed by, you know, that, that 9 o'clock-ish um, is, is a really good time for me. Then... My alarm is set for 4.30. I've got my clothes that are already laid out for my workout the next morning. So all I have to do is get up, walk into the bathroom, brush my teeth, 
put my workout clothes on because they're ready there for me. Um, and then I and then I walk out. I walk out to the kitchen. I turn every light in the in the kitchen on because in the Yukon. Um, in the wintertime, we don't see daylight often, you know, at the darkest time until 11 o'clock in the morning. So, um, you know, oh, I wow. just, I turn every light on so that to start to wake the body up. Um, I go immediately to between 700 or between 800 and 1,000 milliliters of water that I put, um, you know, uh, super greens in. And, and I, I chug that. So immediately what I've done is, I've woken the body up. I've provided it with with liquid, which we all need after a night of sleep. Um, we're a little bit dehydrated, so I start to start to hydrate immediately, which then starts the brain going. I walk down um, into the gym. Um, I tap my sign and I get after it. So the the workout consists, you know, any any time whether. You know, whether I work out in the gym or else, or I put my clothes on and I go out for a run, um, it just depends on you know what my what my routine is that day. But it's either you know put your put your clothes on and <laughs> get your toque and your hat and your headlamp and get out the door, uh, go for a run for an hour or so, roughly about an hour every. That's that would be a, a typical run, I would say. Um, Otherwise, it's in the gym and going through, you know, whatever workout routine that I've got planned for that day. And then I start to prepare breakfast. Um, I have the same breakfast every morning. I eat blueberry coconut pancakes uh, with this apple sauce, uh, or sorry, uh, banana um, special sauce, I call it, that, uh, that Denise, <laughs> Denise uh, got me onto. And just a super healthy breakfast um, and then the kids get up and I get to spend you know an hour every morning with the children and getting them ready for school you know just it's it's a, one of the, the most special hours of, of every day that I have and I'm very thankful that I that I have that so right. that's probably right. one of the that's probably the most special hour of my whole day is right there um, then the kids are gone, then it's to the office. And just, I sit in front of the computer. Um, you know, there's a lot, we've got a number of businesses and there's a lot of things to take care of. Um, and it's kind of just keep the foot on the throttle all day and with make sure that I eat good, good healthy snacks during the day and I'm not craving, you know, junk food. Um, my kind of my go-to are carrots and uh, that's what I try to snack on to to help the cravings of there might take place of something that's not healthy then you know you, you put a full day's work in and then the kids come home and we you know we obviously there's a lot lot going on I don't get to spend um, as much time necessarily in the evening as uh, as I would like but the kids come home at you know four o'clock and there's you still got work to do so one of us, one of us are definitely working while the other one is, you know, driving the kids to sports, you know, whether it's skiing, cross country skiing or hockey or whatever, we're just doing family stuff. And, you know, by the time the night rolls around, by the time, you know, the kids are in bed, we're pretty, we're pretty ready to go to bed too, ready to prepare right. for the next day. Right. So it's just, 
that it's super routine. And I think that's the key to success is building routines. Cause I used to work, like I said, as a police officer for the Royal Canadian amount of police and shift work. Um, you just cannot get into a good, healthy routine. Now I didn't have children at that time. So, um, all I was doing was working and then, you know, climbing mountains or, or doing whatever athletically. And that's exactly all my life consisted of. So I had routine, but in a job right, that right. was very difficult to have routines. So uh, ultimately the key to it is be disciplined about maintaining a healthy routine and the world becomes right. such a right. better place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm curious, Greg, too, on the nutrition side, you've talked a little bit about this, but obviously fueling your body is so important, both, you know, when you're not hunting and when you are hunting, what does your nutrition plan consist of? And what are some of the principles that you try to stick to, uh, to stay healthy and fuel your body? Yeah, I, um, we've really, we've really went down the road of just really trying to work, find out what works for Denise and I, what really works for our family. And ultimately, um, it's plant-based, um, whole foods is, is probably the majority of our diet. So we, I don't eat a lot of red meat. Um, you know, you would think for the amount, uh, and I, you know, I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to say it because I just know what works and I know it works for us. And what works for us is not uh, a lot of red meat and use red meat more as, um, as, as a treat than as something that is a mandatory piece of the meal. Um, right. And right. that's, that's kind of how we, how we eat. My wife is an amazing cook. She's, um, she, she enjoys cooking. Uh, but the reality is, is, you know, we have two kids and they would, they love to eat meat. Um, they would eat as much of it as we would put on their plate. It's, it's, it's like you, like Chaco says, you know, it's dedication and discipline is the way to freedom. And when, uh, when you have that attitude and you look at food in a different way, um, it's, uh, it's quite liberating. Yeah, exactly. I'm interested too, Greg, I've, I've heard you talk about this with your wife on Instagram, but there's a big difference uh, in your daily routine in your life in terms of hunting versus non-hunting season. So I'm curious, during the hunting season, how do you kind of sort of uh, keep track of your fitness levels? Um, what are your days looking like in that season? And how do you try to maintain uh, health for your body while you're going hard in the paint on the hunting side? Yeah, that is, that is the one thing that I struggle with year after year is maintaining um, a healthy diet while in the field. Um, so my... We have a three, basically our hunting season for the most part comes down to three months. It starts in August, the 1st of August and ends the end of October. And it's pretty, when you're trying to produce a television show, it's pretty flat out. Um, so really my schedule is gone. Um, I still get up at, at 4.30 but what I, and get the exercise in, but I could be out flying scouting. I could be out. You know, I could be in the office trying to plan the next hunt. You know, there's so many things that are coming at you during that time of year 
that routine is is very difficult to maintain. Um, you know, we can be on a 12, 14 day sheep hunt and being able to take the, the food that you need um, to be able to get you through and carry it on your back is generally speaking, not gonna be the best quality food. You start to look right. at, you know, right. you know, a freeze dried meal, which, which has great calorie content, but you're not gonna feed that meal to your children. Like, I mean, and if you do, then, um, oh, no. you know, then you should maybe think about that. Um, so we put, <laughs> we, we put that into our bodies. Um, and during those periods of, of, you know, of hard charging in the, in the mountains, um, it's really about calorie consumption. Because for the most part, you're, you're going to burn it off. Um, but use, utilizing foods that, you know, are not going to upset your stomach and keep you keep you going. Um, one of the things that, that we used to race on are like gummy bears. But now I, I find that, you know, gummy bears, when I eat them in the, in the field, I just don't feel good. So I just try to keep them, right. keep them out, of my, out of my diet. Now, you know, I can come off of a hunting season almost um, with, this, with this burning desire for sugar because m- normal part of the year, we eat very little sugar, natural sugars, some, you know, some maple syrup and stuff like that as a flavoring, but certainly not something that um, is in everyday part of our, our life. Uh, so, but when it gets, goes to hunting season, you know, we're, we're into the high calorie garbage food too. So some, you know, chocolate bars and, you know, we try to nuts and all of those, those things that are going to give you the energy to, to keep going. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, chocolate bars are part of it and they give you that spike and you get the up and down. But in a lot of ways, it's calorie content um, for weight. And that's, that's one of the things that we still struggle with hard in, in the mountains that I struggle with hard, but you know, you just kind of, I'm graduating more along the lines of just carrying a little bit extra weight um, for the better food that, uh, that, you know, is actually going to help. So when you do get out of the mountains, you don't have all these cravings and these ups and downs and you've gained weight. Like I come off of a hunting season in kind of the worst shape of my, of my year. So you, you would think that right, after right. three months in the mountains, you know, in and out of the mountains, that you would be in great shape. Well, normal people would be in great shape because they don't normal. The average person doesn't take care of themselves in the other nine months of the year. So <laughs> right. I, you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be um, elitist or anything, but that's just the reality of our society at this time. Very few people. Right, walk right. into a hunting season in the best shape of their uh, uh, of their year and then come out of the mountains three months later in worse shape <laughs> but that's that's kind of my situation <laughs> because um, I'm not sure I'm moving every day but I can spend eight ten hours a day some days sitting on the top of a mountain just glassing so um right you know right. yeah you're burning calories just trying to stay warm and then on top of that you're putting in not the highest quality of food so it's um it's funny i come back off of a hunting season and and my wife you know a lot of times i look you know emaciated <laughs> um <laughs> because i haven't been you know been pushing you know pushing all of the muscles in in my body and i you know a lot of times you're just using legs and and that's getting you through the through the hunt. 
So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a real dichotomy when it comes to how I, how, how I am after hunting season compared to how I go into it. You know, if you see some of my videos, you can look at me and and I have you know high endurance uh, athletic background, so um, I do look like I'm a, a bit of a <laughs> a bit of an anorexic sometimes because I've just been if I go into a season and I'm super fit. Um, endurance wise, I'm not have a lot of a lot of body fat or a lot of mass to 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 do much with during during that hunting season. But it sure it sure helps me get along around the mountains. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, Greg. What do you say? You know, you have a lot of guys that uh, maybe are coming up there to hunt. Um, somebody getting prepared for mountain hunting. What what kind of advice do you give them in terms of how they can prepare mentally and physically, especially physically? Uh, for that type of hunt. So, you know, I've done mountain goat hunting, gone out with sheep hunters. Um, it's, it's brutal. And if you're not prepared for it, it can be, you know, everything from discomfortable to like hazardous to your health. So, so what do you advice are you giving guys to get ready for that type of hunt? Yeah. So, I mean, I can only speak to the kind of hunts that, that we do, which are, you know, self-supported sure. backpack hunting if we're talking true mountain hunting you know week to to 12 14 days so when you're when you're going to take something like that on and you don't take the time to physically prepare yourself and mentally prepare yourself then you're in for a world of hurt so then it then it just becomes this experiment because i don't know what's going to happen to my body after 5 days in the mountains um, if you, right. if you don't know that going in, then it's, it's just an experiment and you're going to find something out about yourself. So that there's, there's no downside because you're going to either figure it out that, um, I should have prepared more or, um, I could have prepared better, but probably it's always going to be, um, it's going to be, I should have done both. Well, for me, if I'm physically going to the go into a hunt like that ready, then there's nothing that's going to stop me. Doesn't matter whether it's weather. Right. Or a, um, the only thing that's going to stop you from actually hunting is if you literally cannot see. You're sitting on on a mountain and you're completely fogged in for the whole hunt and you can't see. Then you know that's just luck of the draw. But that doesn't that doesn't happen very often. So the physical preparation part of this hunt or of a hunt like that. Um, in my opinion, is is absolutely mandatory. Um, and along with right. the phys- if you do the proper physical preparation, put yourself in difficult situations, you're going to gain the mental strength that you need in order to be able, when you're in, in rough times on the mountains, when you're sitting in a tent for three days that you can't see anything and you feel like you're rotting in your sleeping bag, you know, you need, you need to be able to dig deep on the times right. that you have put yourself in difficult situations and just go, well, I guess this is, this is another day. And as long I always, one of the big things I think that, that I bring is the, when times get tough, I really enjoy it to the point where I start to laugh. And, <laughs> and as soon as you, you, don't bring this negative attitude in and you literally laugh about the situation you're in right now, it changes your whole perspective on it. And if you can, if you can smile during adversity and say, you know what, bring it, 
because I've trained for this. I know this is coming. And this is just part of it. But if you don't put in the hard miles, if you don't do the work, it's an experiment. And right. I'm no scientist. Right. So I'm not up for building experiments <laughs> with my body right. in the mountains. Right. So if you, if you know that you've got something coming up and you, you're just too lazy to do the work, well, then don't be surprised when you're whining in your tent and the guy that you showed up there with will never hunt with you again <laughs> because he did the work and you didn't. Like, don't be surprised and don't blame anybody else except for yourself. If you prepare for the worst case scenario, then the best case scenario is like, is amazing. And then when the worst case scenario shows up, it's not that bad either. It's like, smile, suck it up, keep going. Yeah, absolutely. That That's awesome. Uh, the other question I want to ask you, Greg, is um, it, you look at the species that you guys hunt. So I know you do moose, sheep, um, some other things as well. Each one of those types of hunts, it poses different difficulties, right? So moose, I'm guessing a huge part of it is, you know, the chance of getting wet, first of all, terrain wise, but also the massive weight uh, on an animal like that if you're packing out. Then you get to sheep hunting, you got steep country. So walk me through some of the species. What's your favorite? What are the challenges of each? Yeah, so certainly by far my favorite species is sheep. Um, I, you know, I cut my teeth in the sheep country back in 96 when I started uh, working as a packer for Arctic Red River in Northwest Territories. And that's where, that's where I really, you know, learned the love of sheep hunting and the, the, and really for me, what it was always, it just, it just morphed and just made great sense because I was always pushing myself physically and to be able to do that in the mountains in pursuit of, uh, of game was just my, my happy place. So that's where sheep uh, was definitely number one on my list. Um, the, the biggest the biggest factors for sheep hunting, I think, are you know your physical fitness, your mindset, and your ability to cover cover terrain and know what you're looking for. Just like any any game, you can be the fittest person on the mountain, but if you don't know what to look for to find sheep, then you're just not going to find them. Um, so there's obviously there's so many things that come into into hunting specific game, but for me. Um, hunting sheep is um, is at the you know is at the pinnacle, and I think that that's kind of why sheep hunting you know costs what it does if you're a non-resident, um, because everybody gets a very similar experience. They when they walk away from a sheep hunt, they've pushed themselves physically. They've often pushed themselves you know further than they thought they could. They over they got to see amazing country. Um, yeah, just sheep hunting provides so ticks so many boxes for me that there isn't another animal um, that really compares. Now, goat hunting would be would be similar. I I love goat hunting um, in that regard, but certainly um, certainly sheep are are higher on my priority list. Now, the the second favorite animal that I love to hunt is moose. Now, completely different hunts for the most part. Um, I've done some you know some very remote, some difficult moose hunts. 
but just by virtue of the fact that moose are so big and the ability to right. um, the time that it would consume to actually pack a moose out is certainly not uh, of any real distance is not conducive to um, to trying to film uh, a television production in three months <laughs> so that's that's certainly a factor <laughs> for me so when it comes to moose hunting and moose hunting also provides this different kind of hunt where I can I can go with people that um, that I wouldn't go on a sheep hunt with you know I can spend right, time right. on a lake around a campfire at night and you know just enjoying that part of the hunt where that's really not a part of sheep hunting for me um, you know there's I can count on you know two hands the number of probably campfires that I've had uh, on on individual sheep hunts it, that so like that's just a completely different style of hunt where in the mountains you're just I'm just kind of hard charging with going light and covering country and being very focused where at night during a moose hunt you know in September there's a the days are the days are shorter and you've got a lot of a lot of nighttime and where you can sit around and really enjoy um, enjoy the the campfire and enjoy the the people with you at a to a different degree so I really like moose hunting because it provides um, I, I would say a more laid-back style of hunt um, now you know some of the <laughs> some of the places that we go and the machine getting the machines there or the airplane there or whatever so people would say that's not laid back at all but you know in, in relative <laughs> right. terms right. to what we do um, it certainly is a more laid-back hunt where you're not hard charging. You're, you know, you're spending a lot of time calling and, um, and you know, working, working different terrain, really. Um, so yeah, I just get those are the two favorite animals for me to hunt, and and, and for just completely different reasons. Right. Yeah, and last thing I want to ask you today, Greg, is um, you know part of the the backcountry hunting, the mountain hunting. You mentioned flying; you do that as well. Really, you're facing danger on a continual basis. Now, a lot of people who who don't do that, they don't understand that. They probably, first of all, don't understand that getting in their car and driving to work is maybe one of the most dangerous things they'll do. But certainly, the backcountry, uh, again, wilderness hunting, there, there's an element of danger that you have to face. Now, I've said before, and we, we've talked about it on the show, that that's, that can be a part of a, a refining and a hardening process uh, for men. It challenges you. Um, it changes your character. gives you the right mindset, as we've talked about in this show. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, what are you thinking about? You know there's danger out there, but you go anyway. And so my, my question to you is why? Why do you keep going back to the mountain so it's it, it's it's a really interesting question because danger is perceived by everyone differently and yeah i yeah. think that i probably have this tolerance for uh for what most would consider danger um but the tolerance often is based on ability so I used to, you know, climb at, right. at would, what would be considered a fairly high level, I think. Um, you know, I used to climb waterfall ice, you know, with, without ropes. And 
for somebody that to to see oh, wow. that would look at that and go, well, this guy is just has a death wish. Like he's he's just asking to to fall <laughs> off the mountain and die. Um, but but what I think that I have that um, a lot of people don't is when when you put yourself and you put yourself all into something, you just immerse yourself in that world and it be, you can become so tunnel visioned and you learn as much you can, you practice as much as you can and you really start to hone these skills. You obtain a level of, right. of this mindset of superiority that you know that this is within your ability. And I don't have a death wish. I have no interest in, I, in fact, these are, <laughs> it is these things that help me to, to stay alive, to, to feel alive every day. Because that's what it's about. It's about waking up and feeling alive inside. And for me, climbing that water ice with, you know, with no ropes, at that moment, and I look back on it, I wouldn't do it today because I don't, I haven't put in the time that it would take to get to that level. When I sat at the bottom of that ice, waterfall ice, looking at it, knowing that I'm going to climb this and there is no, there is no option. Failure is not an option. And when you can have that mindset that you will succeed under any circumstances, then you're unstoppable. Right. And I remember right. being three quarters of the way up that water ice and, you know, hundreds of feet below me knowing that if you peel off here, there's only one option. And, and that option is somebody picks your body up at the bottom of this and delivers it back to your wife. And, right. Oh, man. And when you can control your mind, when doubt comes in and you can control it because you know that you've done the work to get you here, you can you can quickly like it, it's, it's almost milliseconds. It comes in and you quickly turn it around and back to focusing on the job that needs to get done. And that's to get to the top so that you can walk off. And I have no death wish, but when you have put in the time and you get yourself to a point where failure is not an option in that situation. Now, I fail all the time, Eric, like all the time, whether it's business, whether <laughs> it's um, aviation, I've crashed an airplane. Um, and I look at these things as when you can walk away from them. It, as a learning experience and if you don't learn from it then you do have something that's wrong there's something there's something in your head that right. is that is a little bit you know a little bit off i would say um but yeah i've put uh, i've put an airplane in the in the dirt and i thought that i had everything everything in control and i learned that i didn't um now it wasn't right. a it wasn't a catastrophic um type accident, but certainly enough to, uh, I was remote. I was by myself. 
uh, I was like two hours from a road. So, oh man, north of you know, as far north as, as you can kind of get in the Yukon in a super cub. Um, and you know, without, without any backup, I guess, I had an in reach. So, that was uh, that's you know, I carry an in reach and a sat phone. So, those are those are two things that I have in my aircraft with me at all times. Um, but yeah. I put uh, I put it down in a in a really remote place in the Yukon, and there was uh, there was no one no one coming. And if I if I wasn't able to hit that in reach, then you know there was no one coming. Um, wow! But, but those are those are mistakes you make, and if you don't learn from those mistakes, then then there's something wrong. But I certainly have no death wish. But the whole point of it is, I think that. I've had the, had the ability to learn over the years that if you're going to do something and it means enough to you, then go all in. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you're absolutely right. Failure is a part of that. As we pursue our passions, we're going to fail, but it has to be a teacher and we have to ultimately uh, learn from that. I think that's a great word. Greg, I really appreciate the conversation. It's been super helpful. Of course, we're going to point people to your show, YouTube channel. And your Instagram in our show notes. Again, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Eric. I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, um, thanks for having me. And good luck out there. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Wilderness Warrior podcast. Of course, you can check us out at wilderness-warrior.com. You can also check the show notes for links to our social media accounts. Follow along on Patreon and by all means, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell them how much you enjoyed this show. Until next time, live dangerously, be wild, and embrace the warrior way of life.